A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. I'm your host, Kevin Garcia. Welcome to another episode, my friends. It has been a crazy week already. I mean, I guess it's the middle of the week, so of course, like, it's allowed to be crazy like that. But anyways, if you haven't already, go over to my YouTube channel and check out my newest video. Uh, it's called Dear Chris Pratt, and I'm talking to Chris Pratt about the fact that he goes to a church that he thinks is welcoming, but obviously they are not welcoming. Meow, 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 meow. Uh, so you can go check that out, share that. And if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go ahead and do that. And while you're at it, you can head to thekevingarcia.com and become a sustaining partner and subscribe and get the YouTube channel. What's it called? No, you can get my ebook. That's what I'm trying to say. You can get my ebook for free, which is like a really fun collection of essays on sexuality and faith and doing the thing. And I don't really have a lot going on. Uh, I'm going to be up in Rochester, New York in March, and I'm going to be hopefully at Whitworth University in April. We're still waiting on confirmations from that. And if you are looking for someone to, like, if you want to book me for your school, you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash speaking and get me on your roster. Um, I think that's everything for me today. I actually just want to, I kind of just want to dive in. Oh, sorry. Before we dive into the conversation, Queerly Beloved Tees is live. The shop launched on Monday. It's pre-sale right now, which means it's going to take four to six weeks to get your stuff to you, but you are going to get a 15% discount when you subscribe to our mailing list. So go over to queerlybeloved.shop, that's S-H-O-P, and subscribe to the mailing list, get that coupon code, and then um, have some fun, order some stuff. Even the love shirt is going to be on sale, hopefully, by the end of today. So, today I'm talking with my friend Cindy Wong Brandt. Cindy was born in an irreligious home, but was sent to a school for missionary children in Taiwan, where she converted and spent most of her formative years in conservative evangelicalism. Her evangelical creds include missionary school, Wheaton College, where Billy Graham attended, seminary, full-time career in missions, and then her faith shifted and shifted again, and then she became a parent of two children and a dog, and then her, her life just continued to shift. And if you're like her, you might be floundering in your faith, shifting, feeling lonely or isolated or ostracized by your faith community because you have become somebody new. But the good news about that is Cindy says you're not alone. And the second thing that she says is that the exciting thing about living in these tensions is that we get to create the life we want to live. Um, she has a, she's a podcaster, speaker, writer, community builder. Um, she's got her new book, Parenting Forward, subtitle, How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness, with a forward by Rachel Held Evans. Um, it's coming out soon. It's going to be, I think it's going to be an incredible book. Um, but in this conversation, we talk about, uh, you know, being an Asian woman in a um, more patriarchal context. We talk about being a Christian in a non-Christian context. There's so many different amazing things. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend Cindy Wong Brand. You are Cindy Wong Brandt. And I, did I pronounce Yay! You pronounced my name right. <laughs> yeah, I um I saw the tweet. I was like, ah. Put that in my pocket because I'm going to remember. Yes. Cindy Wong Grant, <laughs> yeah. you um, have been 
blogging about like parenting unfundamentalists after coming out of like, you know, evangelical and fundamentalist culture. You've been talking about right. how to um, parent forward. I believe it's the name of your book that you're working on. Is that correct? Parenting forward. Parenting forward. And you also kind of like run the, this Facebook group of like parents who are also trying to re- figure out how to raise their kids unfundamentalist. Is that correct? Right. That's so, right. If you were to describe like what you, what you mean by parenting unfundamentalist, what is exactly does that mean for you? Well, you know, it's it's just using the parenting angle basically to do what a lot of people in this generation are already doing, which is deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm. I know there's, there's problematic terms, but I think we know what it means. I think that yeah. a lot of us grew up fundamentalists. We're discovering the toxicity that was within the system. We want to know how to shed that spiritual baggage. And for parents, especially, we have this additional motivation, which is we're raising a whole new generation and how can we do better by them? And um, and then it's also reconstruction in a way because we're thinking, okay, well, now that we've decided this is bad, mm-hmm. then what's good? What is What are the values and the methods and the way to live our lives that promotes the most human flourishing for our kids, which is what all parents want is the best for our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there a time, um, so like when did you kind of like come into this? Uh, to your own like awakening, to your own deconstruction, and how did that first start playing itself out with in your family dynamics? Well, it's it's been like a lot of people; it's very gradual, and uh, I'm beginning to. Um, I think it's just normal when when it took twenty twenty five years to be to internalize that whole system of thinking. It, you can't get rid of it overnight. Mm-hmm. So I would say like my entire 30s was a whole decade of awakening and um, and it's just with all different kinds of issues with nationalism, with racism, mm-hmm. with homophobia, um, just one by one uh, deconstructing those ideas. And I had my kids young because I was raised evangelical, I was taught to marry young and and have kids as soon as possible because motherhood was uh, you know, the purpose for my life. Yeah, and your body is so I had to be a baby kids. factory. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I got started right away and had my babies young. And so I, I wasn't, I was kind of going through this process of deconstruction at the same time as, as my kids were growing up. And I think at some point in there, cause you know, when they're babies and toddlers, you're not thinking so much about their faith formation. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, like, Are you going to, eat but today? at some point, right, right, right. I mean, although thinking back in, I remember when my daughter was three years old, I was reading her like a book about catechism. So (laughs) (laughs) I really did. I I still have that book. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the way we were taught to, you know, raising godly children. That's part of the package. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And so at some point I started thinking, Oh, I don't know. I, I, and I started noticing that I would leave out big chunks of those books that I was reading. Like I was still reading them, but I Mm -hmm. would begin to edit and, and rethink a lot of the things that I was teaching my kids. And, and eventually it, the tension just became greater and greater because I started to unbelieve so many of Mm. those things that I thought was the right thing to teach my kids. And, 
And so at that point was when I started kind of blog, you know, I was a blogger. So, you know, bloggers blog. So I started writing about yeah. these issues. And that's how kind of the whole project of raising children on fundamentalists and then the book idea came out of that. Yeah. And here you are now. When was, I don't know, like when you were starting to go through like the great cloud of unbelief that we all do. Like, I feel like there's this sense of, like, as soon as we hit that point of, like, starting to, like, recognize that we just simply don't believe the things we used to believe, it gets scary because it's almost like I'm pulling at this little thread on the tapestry of my life, which, you know, is, like, riddled with, like, and also so interconnected with this very specific way of looking at faith and life and uh, the right. afterlife for so many of us. And so like, it, we, like it's like we pull and pull and pull and pull to the point where just like, it's all just thread on the ground. And we're just like, okay, mm-hmm. how do I start? So for me, it was a scary thing. Like I was really, really afraid um, when I started, like not right. just the stuff around gay stuff, but like, uh, I think it was like when I started asking, it was like, do I actually believe hell is a thing? Like literal hell? Yeah. Yeah. But that's part of the indoctrination is to make you make you be afraid. Yeah. You're supposed to be afraid. The system was built to make you afraid to question these things so that you don't mm-hmm. ever do it. Yeah. But the thing I, I you know, I, I went to seminary, so I learned a lot of things about the faith in an academic way. Mm-hmm. But I think part of like building a family for myself is and then going through deconstruction is to see how practical all of these things play out, you know, Mm -hmm. like faith and all these issues can seem heady, but the reality is it impacts everything in Mm -hmm. your life. It impacts the relationship between partners and your social life and your work. And of course your church Mm -hmm. and your community. Like, I think that has been, um, yeah, part of that unraveling is realizing, oh my gosh, this matters to every single thing that I do in my life. Um, and I think that's also very daunting. Mm. Um, can I ask a question like involving like, um, not just being evangelical Christian, but then also um, having, being an Asian woman, like there's also all this, these very much these large cultural um, implications that go along with that. Was was part of your deconstruction right. also like having to kind of like wrestle with um, certain like stuff around patriarchy um, and I mean not I mean obviously the patriarchy like dealing with those sorts of things but just like did you find it to be more difficult because um, many Asian cultures like have a very very understood way of how family works and how social interactions work between men women etc. Yeah, I mean, it's I live in a very patriarchal society. And I think that evangelicalism compounded that what evangelicals, what Christianity should do is dismantle Mm, patriarchy. But instead of doing that, it it kind of made it uh, validated it validated the patriarchy that's part of Asian culture. Um, And so that's yeah, it's painful. I have a lot of things going against me. I'm a woman. I'm Asian. I'm an Enneagram 8. Yes! Also, same. <laughs> I love being an 8. And I also think girl 8. Are you an 8? Yes. 8 wing 7. Okay. Yeah. 
I think I might be. I don't know. I haven't figured out my wing, but I think I might be eight wing seven as well. Uh, the way I put it is just like yeah. eight wing sevens. It's just like um, anger, but make it fun. <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah. So you're. Just I mean, I've had some not so fun experiences. Um. So I I don't know if you know the story about my job resignation. I don't think so, but I'm going to listen if you want to share it. Yeah, it can also it's be pretty off public. The rec- it's, oh, if it's public, then sure. But if I said I was going to say if he wanted to be off the record, we can do that too. No, I was working at a conservative Christian school. I think last time we um, talked, you were telling me that. Right. That's and that's when it just happened. So it was a lot more fresh mm. at that time. But yeah, so that's it's two years ago now, and I. I went to a pride march in my in my city yeah. and I posted a pride picture and they told me that I can't post stuff like that as long as I was working at the school and so I quit. Hmm. So that's a really short version of what turned out to be pretty traumatic for me. Yeah. Um, and that was when I discovered, well, not when I discovered the Enneagram, but when I started caring about it because, you know, I think I was searching, I, w- I was hurting and I needed something to, you know, I needed help. Um, and the Enneagram helped me because part of my, uh, the trauma of going through that experience was not understanding why people weren't supporting me as much as I thought that they should have been, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it was one of those things where you realize who your true friends were when you go through a crisis And I just didn't understand. I was like, if you really, if you were gay affirming and you really cared about me and this issue, then you should be speaking up a whole lot more than you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Enneagram just made me realize that's how I think, right? Mm -hmm. As an eight, my impulse is to just do the right thing and be very vocal and challenge the system. Because I think what's interesting about being eights is that we... To us, it's just like, well, of course, this is the right way to do it. Like, like, let me show you. I know the thing. Right. Like, I've done the research. Uh, I know how to execute the plan. Like, it's easy. Look at me. I'm doing it. Why can't you do it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And people were saying, you know, the people who agreed with me were like, oh, you're such a hero. And I, I resented that, actually, because yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not a hero. This is just what everyone should be doing. <laughs> It's, it's very, and... it's very easy. I think like, um, I, I, and I don't know if like, this is just like how eights are built or just like how like people who like do the work that we do, like in like the, uh, ex-evangelical, evangelical, post-evangelical sphere. I feel like there is like this, this sentiment that I, I get this, I've gotten this from a few people of just like, you know, I love your work. You're doing such important things. And I'm just like, or I've heard like, oh, I can't do, I wish I could do X, Y, and Z. I'm just like, you can. I'm like, right. you really can. It's not that hard. Especially in like mm-hmm. this little like progressive Christian world or whatever we're going to call it. Like it's super small. Like you start a blog, you're, you're yeah, somebody. It is. You know? Right. So it's just like, it's just a matter of like, I think we're like, need to learn how to take up our own space and realize that like, just because I have a podcast or just because you have a blog and a book or whatever, it's like, it does not make us like more revolutionary than the person who is just like living their life and living it well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I get that a lot too. I can never do what you do. I can never say what you say like that publicly. And I'm like, you just say it. <laughs> like you literally can. 
Yeah. And, the, and I guess this also comes from our, our eightness because I was talking with a friend of mine. Um, we have a mutual friend who's a one. And I was asking him just like, well, why can't he just like ask for what he wants? Like, that doesn't yeah. make sense to me that people wouldn't be able to do that. And she said, well, just like the way that his, you know, his uh, character makeup as a one is made up is that like, that's not a thing he can really do because he doesn't even know what he needs or wants. Mm. And it's just like the way like your uh. brains work is different. And I'm like, oh, you mean not everybody thinks like me? Weird. Yeah. So it's been. And that's why it was so helpful. It was healing for me because I, because I was ready to cut everyone out of my life. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But when I but when I learned about my own impulse and what drives me, then I realized, oh, okay, this is not what drives everyone else, and that that's okay. It feels like such a basic lesson, but I really did have to learn it, and I learned it via the Enneagram. So I'm thankful to the mm-hmm. tool. And and over the past two years, I've tried to learn more about other numbers, and mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's been it's it's enlightening and i'm i want to dig even more deeply into my own number Yo, and it's i've okay. i've had my doubts because i'm not as i don't know i don't seem to be as confrontational um mm-hmm. as other eights are and so that's kind of made me question my number but you could be i, don't, um, I still feel well this what's interesting about numbers too is that you if you want to get like grad school level enneagram there's also the subtypes okay. And so within the subtypes, oh there's gosh. like really like they said like there's not nine Enneagram types. There's like 27 types because there's like the archetype and then three subtypes below those, which can be like sexual, mm-hmm. social or self-preservation. And based on that, there's mm-hmm. one of these types that just doesn't look like an eight, doesn't look like its number, but its motivations mm-hmm. are the same. So, you know, that could be it. Yeah. You could, I think I think it's the I can't remember which one is like the counterphobic, which is like the one that doesn't look like an eight, but that could be you. And I think it also yeah. has to do like, for me, eight being eight with a seven wing, people will be like, well, like you're just not mad enough. You're not angry enough. I'm just like, no, I'm plenty angry. It's just that being angry, it tires me out yeah. and I want to go do something fun instead. Uh. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> right. And, and also I have to consider that I did, grow up evangelical Mm -hmm. and a lot of that I think a lot of my eightness was you know worn down Mm -hmm. by by the system and so how much of it is I've just haven't discovered Mm -hmm. I just haven't unleashed all of my eight potential yet listen I'm ready for it the year (laughs) the year of the eight um so when when you are talking with like other parents uh, across the internet waves um and they're like just now starting to figure out like <laughs> their own discovery do you ever like what's a i don't know i wonder if, if like there's any like for, for parents like is there any like guilt that people are dealing with around like oh my gosh i can't believe that i made my kid read watch xyz um yeah like what there's a lot like, what's, what's that like yeah, I think it's it's hard. A lot of and a lot of people have raised adult children and they are kind of they have a lot of regrets over raising their kids a certain way and and I'm sorry, but we do have to take responsibility for those. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I spanked my kid, probably my first kid more than my second kid. Mm-hmm. I'm completely anti-spanking now. Spanking is bad in every way and it's confirmed by science, sociologists. Like it is not a good thing to spank your kids and you shouldn't do it. 
um, which I know now, but I did, I did it to my child and I deeply regret it. And, and I feel like I have to take responsibility for that. If I really believe that spanking is harmful, then I harm my child. And I still, we still don't know what kind of effects that has Mm -hmm. on her. Um, And so I think there's a, I think you have to both take responsibility for it. And also there's nothing you could do about it. It's already done. Mm -hmm. And so you have to also give yourself grace Mm -hmm. and, and it's not help. It's self-indulgent to just continually beat yourself up for something that can't be changed. Ooh. So move forward, um, you know, apologize to your kid, make those amends, take responsibility, pay for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my God. Say that again. And, and then do better. And, and I think one of the w- best ways you can do better is to tell your story so that young parents who are raising young kids can can do better and we can support one another and i love the idea of intergenerational spaces that we can help each other the young people can help you know those who've gone through especially with parenting it's such a lifelong endeavor it is not just the one you know it's not just one project it's raising human beings and and it doesn't so stop after they turn I, 18 either no. And, and it's such a beautiful thing. It's, it's redemptive to be able to see children grow up in a healthier way. It's redemptive to see young parents raising their children in a better way. Um, yeah. And it's healing for yourself, I think. Um, so I just, I love recruiting all kinds of people into parenting spaces, like single people. I love having single people mm. in my group because Gosh, you know, you see our kids in a totally different way. You have more energy. You, um, are, everyone was once a child. Everyone has parenting lessons because mm-hmm. you. We all went through the growing up process and have really important lessons. And and um, I love seeing men in parenting spaces because mm-hmm. so much of these spaces are dominated by women, mm-hmm. and that is because of the patriarchy. Right. But um, we can change all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we can make a difference and. And do better so i because like that's something i also really enjoy about like what you just said about having single folks as part of like a parenting space because i love kids i really do yeah. i enjoy being around them i love youth ministry i love all those kinds of things mm-hmm. and like i really think of like yeah. when i was youth ministry like youth ministry is parenting in a way like i'm helping shape it and is form this this team to help like make yes. some decisions and when I think about how like Jesus was creating family different than mm-hmm. the day, it was all about like, who is my mm-hmm. mother? Who is my brother? It's the person who's right in front of me. So I just, I really resonate with this feeling of just like, we want to bring every kind of adult around our kids so that they can like really experience like the, what the breadth and width of like what their own human experience can look like, you know? Right. Yeah. And, um, and especially for teens, teens, you know, they'll listen to someone outside of their parents. That's part, that's a healthy part of the development that differentiating from their parents and finding identity outside of them. So there is a lot of influence, but of course it, it also makes them very vulnerable to like fundamentalism. They can easily fall into a cult. (laughs) Um, If you're, you know, I think it's important to, to be mindful that teens will seek authority outside of their parents and and a lot of times you know youth pastors and fundamentalist churches are not the safest people yeah (laughs) um to be mindful of that but i want to also make a comment about jesus and come on 
and how, you know, the, the famous passage about him welcoming the children, I think it's really, uh, un- we underestimate the, how revolutionary that was because back in biblical times, children were property. Yes. They were not regarded as full human beings. And so for Jesus to have had that encounter and said, welcome the children is, was, was actually incredible. And, um, yeah, we should definitely continue that trajectory of what does it mean in our present time to welcome children. Um, you know, I love the story of the New Zealand prime minister <clears throat> who held parliament and she, there was like a group of kids who was on a, a field trip and, you know, right in the middle of this very adult setting, um, very serious. She just like opened wide the doors and it's like, hey, does anyone mind if the future generation joins us? Mm. You know, and all the kids get up on stage with her. Yeah. And so I I just love seeing more adult spaces welcoming children. I think we we should see more of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the that's the direction we should be moving. It just makes more sense like to me like not to mention, like, I feel like if we can allow children, like, I mean, I think about, like, how like, you were doing parenting and um, how my friends at that Imaginarium in Nashville are doing, uh, like, their kids' work, like, work around their kids and helping their kids, mm-hmm. like, engage in their own spiritual lives. It's yeah. it's really incredible to me. Like, I, f- I feel like, I wonder what would happen what would it been like for like you or I, if like at a younger mm-hmm. age, we were encouraged to really make our faith our own and not have like the fundamentalist mm-hmm. rules and the, I wonder like what, like what I would be doing right now, probably not like having to probably wouldn't be in seminary a, but that's not a, that's not a bad thing, <laughs> but it's a, it's just so interesting for me to think yeah. about like all the what ifs of just like, you know, if I didn't have to pay for all the, the therapy for, the trauma. It's just, yeah. It's... Right. Just less to unlearn. We would have less to unlearn. Mm. So I, I don't know. Were you raised like what? Cause I was converted into Christianity when I was 12 years old. Oh, um, and is I that, remember, is your, is your so I don't know how, Christian? no, they are now, okay. but they weren't when I was growing up. Okay. Interesting. But I'm just wondering because I remember how vibrant my own spirituality was before I was converted. Hmm. Um, I was, I think a deeply spiritual person, but I just didn't have the language for it. And so when the evangelicals came along, it gave me language to kind of put my, my feelings and my experiences into these categories. Unfortunately, it also taught me a lot of dogma that Mm -hmm. then could then diminish my spirituality. So it kind of shut down. Yeah. my spirituality which is really sad um and i hope that's the you know the lesson i hope that we don't repeat with our kids mm-hmm. and so i think that yeah it, I, it it is interesting to imagine what would happen i i mean i my head led me to some really dark places mm-hmm. like i was very obsessed about death <laughs> i thought about death but i think that's part of being spiritual is thinking about death and and the you know the the finitude of human mm-hmm. life and what does it mean to live like the most, um, the best life, knowing that death is in our future. Like all, and I was thinking about this when I was like six years old, you know, mm-hmm. but that's, that's what kids are like. They're not, they're amazing. Their minds have 
you know, their imagination is immense and they are dealing with themes. That's why children's lit is really powerful. They, you know, children's lit is not fluff. No, it's not <laughs> they at all. They deal like, with I have, very transcendent themes. Like I cry all the time reading children's books. I know. I'm like, oh my God, this is so true. Yeah. I'm like, it, yeah, and they're engaging with them. So they're not afraid. So don't like, I would encourage parents, you don't be afraid to talk about like the the biggest and the darkest and the most mystical um, issues Mm -hmm. and stories. Don't be afraid to talk about those with your kids and and be open to letting them share what they're thinking about and wrestling Mm -hmm. with. I think would be really surprised and, and, um, Mm. and it would make our lives richer. Yeah. That is one thing I wonder about. Cause like, I don't think that I'm called to be a parent. I think I'm called to be an uncle for sure and I love I'm a yeah my little brother and my oldest brother they just had their kids like within six months of each other so we have two little babies in our family now and that's so fun I just I really want for my little nieces I'm just like I want y'all to experience like a level of freedom from dogma that me and my brothers never had Mm -hmm. and I don't know it just do you feel like their parents agree with you? <laughs> I think in some ways, yes. It's like they're, I, it's like, because like my, my family is really cool with me being queer and I like brought my partner okay. home and everything. So like, I would imagine like if in the future, if either one of these children came out, like they would find themselves in a very loving home. I think that, I think, That's good. and I think it's very interesting. It's just like, I, I wonder like, because my brother and his wife, one of them, they go to this like, hipster mega church in denver and i'm like oh my god this place is so mm-hmm. gross because like and i even told them i'm just like, yeah. I was like hey how'd you like church i'm just like i'm 90 percent sure that if i was attending here i couldn't participate fully and they're like what no they love they love everybody yeah. i'm just like i looked them up on church clarity i'm like nah bruh they're not yeah you know the problem is these mega churches are the ones with really good children's ministry so good yeah, like they have these amazing rooms. Like I want to be there if I were a baby, you know. <laughs> I want to be there as an adult. Carpets, personally. tons of toys. <laughs> Carpets, tons of toys. Yeah, and, so like, it's a problem. Music. I know. <laughs> really good programs and and activities, mm. and so that's I think that's the problem with a lot of people who who like they they don't align with these mega church values, but they have little kids, and if they want to go to church it's kind of the best place to take. Mm -hmm. They could just drop their kids off, know that the kids will be taken care of. And whereas like, you know, the more progressive churches are usually smaller with older people, not a lot of families and the children, there's no children's ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely lucked out. My church has been really, really dope. We have a very like intergenerational mix and have a good kids ministry as like a progressive. um, Oh, good. So, but that's rare. You're absolutely right. That's a rare find. Yeah, I sometimes wonder, too, like with like the evolution of like what the church could become, like how okay. as it's moving further and further away from like big centralized power structures, and this this is I think this okay. is like, going to be like in our children's generation what they figure out, like mm-hmm. what if the church is no longer like large buildings but just like collections of and gatherings of people where like and people like getting back to meeting in people's homes i like i started a house church about a year and some change ago that's still going even after i left but like it was this sense of 
everyone was welcome. We had parents who brought their kids, and we had queer folks, and we had POC, and we had um, immigrant folk. Like it was, it was just like it was a mess, and it was beautiful, and it was like intergenerational. Like that's the kind of stuff like I want to be a part of. So I'm hoping that like yeah, that's what I want for my. Yeah, it's lovely. I love what Anna is doing with Imaginarium. Um, I've loved watching them include children in spaces, but it's also been it's complicated because she's also told me that, you know, you have these ideas about you want children to be in adult spaces, right? Like that's the philosophy, Mm -hmm. but in real life, the kids are like, we don't want to be here. We want to go to the kids' table. Yeah, we want to go. And so, right, we want to have just children only spaces, and and so it's a I think it's it's a learning process, but then you wonder how much of that is because they were raised in such segregated ways, mm-hmm. right? There like, was um, um there was this really interesting um interview from like the like early nineties with this one man. I believe he was like, uh, I think he was from some yogi yogi path, um, but he basically said just like mm-hmm. I think that the nuclear family should be dissolved in like favor of the commune, of just like we like. like we build family together on purpose you know we don't do it because Mm. like you know this is a man this is a woman and this is a child it's like what if like children were raised by the community what if children it it just Mm. got me really thinking of just like that if i ever have children if any and and this is something i told like me and my friends have talked about it's like if any one of us decides that we want to have children we need to raise them together like as a community Mm. like yes there's going to be a lot of like financial burden over here but like i am I want to raise that kid alongside my, my friends because yeah, I want, I want to love it. I, I love kids. So why would I? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a. Yeah. And to have, you know, have the kids that have many avenues of love, not just from their yeah, parents. Many uncles and aunts, like maybe like this, yeah, this is your mom and your dad, but many uncles and aunts and many cousins and many ways to be loved. Yeah. You, so how let me ask you a question. You, you told me that you are not called to be a parent. Yeah, I don't think I am. Um, and that's that's totally fine, but do you feel uh like does that feel an do you feel supported in that desire? Because I know there's you know, in culture there's this pressure to like you have to have kids to have like a meaningful life. You know, I, I, a lot of people say, oh, you don't know love until you know, you know, until mm-hmm. you become a parent, which is not true. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but it's something that gets said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I want to know if how you feel as somebody who doesn't want to become a parent. Do you feel like there's space um, in, in these times to yeah. be who you are? I think it's it's getting there. And like, I surround myself with the people who support that kind of, dream in me of just being like the world's best gay uncle um mm-hmm. um i think like i told my mother i was like hey mom i just i don't know if i want to have kids and she just gives me this look like yeah whatever mm-hmm. you're gonna have kids and it's like okay well you're not listening but whatever's good or you're gonna change your mind i think a lot of people you'll change that. your mind or, or, like because like for me like mm-hmm. i love i love kids but i also like when i think about my work and like the um, and this uh i don't think this is I, I, for a while i i would call myself selfish because i would say like i look at the where my life is headed and in order for me to mm-hmm. raise a child with any sort of integrity like to be a good parent mm-hmm. to this child 
I, I would have to give up a lot of things. Like to be a parent is like, Mm -hmm. I have to give up. I now have to really decent, like go beyond just like decentering my ego. I have to decenter my whole life to like make sure that Mm -hmm. we can grow this human into somebody who can uh, feel loved and accepted and able to tackle their own world. And yeah, when I think about that kind of sacrifice, it's just like, I just don't want to do that, which like I'm mm-hmm. my the work that I do is so meaningful to me. Like getting to help queer people become mm-hmm. is such a meaningful experience for me. Getting to do church reform work yeah. is so meaningful. Um, mm. And that requires for me, like I have to travel and I have to, you know, spend right. hours and hours like on the internet focused on my projects. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could, there, there might, like, I'm not going to say never because like, you never know hands of time, but like at this point in my life, like, I really think that the more, like when I was younger, like in my early twenties, when I was so set on getting married, um, mm-hmm. I was re- like, I was there, like I was all for it. Kids. It was like going to be like married by 23 kids by 25 hunker down into your career mm-hmm. at age 30 for the next 50 years. And then you can retire at 80 and um, hopefully you still have your mind. Um, mm-hmm. But I am, um, my path is my life. My life just looks different. And this is the question. I was like, do I feel supported? I think by my people, like my close friends, I feel yeah. supported. Like I say, like, I don't know if I want to have kids. They're just like, that's cool. And then I would say recently, I was like, I don't think right. I want to be a parent. And they're just like, all right. And, like, the way my friend Miles put it is just, like, you'll still be a parent. You just won't raise your own babies. It's, like, you will, like, I fully want to become, like, a parental figure for people. Like, I want to stand Mm. in the gap where other uh, parents may have not been able to do it. Like, that's how I think, like, in some ways what being a pastor is. And so... Well, I feel like with LGBT people, when they come out of the closet later on in life, it's, the, you know, there's a little bit of catching up and development, mm-hmm. right? Shit, like I'm still is learning that, how to I date. don't know, is that offensive to say? No, okay. it's absolutely <laughs> true because like okay. I, spent, I spent my first three years out of the closet trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to have healthy relationship and how to recognize healthy relationship. Like my, my last partner and right. I, God bless him, was not a, a great, uh, wasn't very healthy. It was very super codependent. And I could, I didn't mm-hmm. recognize it because I was so hell bent on being a good Christian boyfriend, hashtag good Christian boyfriend. Um, mm. And to be a good Christian boyfriend meant it looked holding on no matter what, um, sacrificing until I was like, had nothing left. Um, and it, it really like, it really kind of just opened my eyes to the way that like, I'm still trying to figure this out. And I think there's a lot of queer people who like, we give ourselves, it's almost like we have to overperform in order to mm-hmm. look normal. So like for me, like the yeah. normal thing to do would be get married, Oops. have a kid, create a nuclear family and, you know, continue on with the quote unquote American dream. But because like my mm-hmm. development, like, was stifled like I didn't believe in like evolution until like two years ago like that's the level of like I was like a fundamentalist in every single way except for like uh the gay thing so it's um yeah I think um 
So that's why I'm saying I, I feel like you, the work that you do can be helping trying to guide mm-hmm. and being a parental figure to young teens yeah. or you know, young LGBT people coming out of the closet and what does it mean to be human? I mean, that's what parenting is about. What Ooh. does it mean to be human? Ooh, you better drop a knowledge bomb on them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love it. I love doing this work because it's really consistent with everything. Because I started off writing about faith in general and culture and all these other things, you know, the progressive Christian internet thing. And really what we're all trying to do is how to be human. And um, and then doing it through the parenting lens is just fun because there's kids and <laughs> kids are fun. <laughs> Um, so, and being able to kind of see truth come out of children's mouths, mm-hmm. which happens a lot more than we think. Um, it's, it's just a joy. It's, it's, they're whimsical. And so I, I think it, it kind of adds this, um, joy into some of these heavier conversations that we have all the time. So maybe that's my wing seven. Mm. You know, I want to talk about social justice, but I want to have fun doing it. And, you you know, talking about kids Absolutely. is a way to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's true. Like, if you're not having fun in this movement, like, we're it's going to die. So, like, we right. got we to gotta learn how to have some fun. That was my conversation with Cindy Wong-Brandt. If you want to get in touch with Cindy, you can check her out online at cindywongbrandt.com. That's C-I-N-D-Y-W-A-N-G-B-R-A-N-D-T.com. And then she's at Cindy underscore W underscore Brandt on Twitter. Um, Check out her book, Parenting Forward, available all over the place very soon. Um, Be sure to, if you're a parent out there and you want to get in touch with her uh, Facebook group, Parenting Unfundamentalist, go check that out on Facebook. And additionally, if you want more of Cindy Wong Brandt, you can actually check us out on this new thing I'm starting called The After Show. It's just like a little like extra like 50-minute mini podcast with me and my podcast guests, and it's available to all of my friends on Patreon. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, that is going to be up and available on my Patreon page for all of my friends who are supporting me at $5 or more per month. You want more Cindy? Join in. She the best. It's so good. Go check her out. Thanks, Cindy, for being on the show today. You are amazing. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 139 amazing people on Patreon. And if you don't know what that is, it is an incredible way for you to give to the the creatives in your life who are doing the work that matters, making the content that matters. So if you liked this episode, please consider becoming a supporting partner. Even as little as $1 or $2 a month really does make a huge difference. And if you go for more than that, there are some awesome perks, including uh, meditations, which are going to be out by the week's end. Uh, there are t-shirts involved from my new t-shirt line, Queerly Beloved Tees. There are, um, there's a Slack channel where you can hang out with us. There's coaching calls. There's all sorts of amazing things. So why don't you go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and learn how you can support this work. Seriously, it makes all the difference and it doesn't happen without you. I think that's all my things. Uh, go go check out Queerly Beloved Tees. Get that coupon code. Go subscribe to the blog. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. And one extra thing you can do to help this podcast and all of my work out is to share it on social media. Seriously, 
having friends like you spread the word about this is how we get this podcast in the ears of more people. Another way that you can help uh, get this podcast in the ears of more people is by leaving us a review on iTunes. So if you're unable to give financially, maybe you can give with a little click, click, click of your mouse, keyboard, or fingers on your iPhone or Android device. Go ahead and leave me a five-star review. Um, Tell people why you love the show. And if you don't like the show, then why are you listening? Go away. Go do something better with your time. I know that I'm wonderful, but literally, you can do something so much better. Anyways, until next time, my friends, please go see your therapist. Take your meds. uh, Eat something yummy. Con and Mari your clothes, y'all. I literally spent an afternoon going through, asking what sparked joy, threw out a bunch of stuff, and then folded everything in the KonMari style. My stuff is so organized. My room is so clean. And I think I might be able to, like, keep this going. So, like, if you are looking for, like, you know, a husband out here in these streets who, like, wants to declutter your life, holler at me. Also, happy Valentine's Day to all of you. You are my loves. Um, And if you're alone on Valentine's Day, um, you're not alone because you're with yourself and you can treat yourself. So... Do all those things I just said. Conmari your life. Take yourself out for Valentine's Day. Do something sweet for yourself. Fall in love with yourself more because God's in love with you. Anyways, I'm done talking. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name's Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you next time, babe. Bye.